Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, which is on page 1090 of the Bibles at the back. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have found, for I have not found your work completely before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people inside us who have not defiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Morning, Church at Nine. Uh, my name's Greg. I'm one of the ministers here at OEC, uh, and I look after Church at Four in particular, and it's great to be with you here this morning and opening God's Word with you. Um, in your handouts that you received on the way in, on the inside there's an outline of the talk that will help you see where we're going. It's a great place to, place to take notes as well. Uh, please keep your Bibles open um, to that passage in Revelation chapter 3. That would be great. Uh, well, today we come back to the letters of um, from Jesus to the churches uh, in what is now Turkey. Letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So we started this series, if you can think back that far, um, to the last, uh, last uh, in our last holidays, school holidays, um, about 12 weeks ago. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look through the three letters to the churches uh, that Jesus writes to in chapter 3. Uh, and they're letters from Jesus, their brother, their commands from Jesus, their king. And Jesus has a different thing to say to each church. They've got different strengths, they've got different weaknesses, they've got different issues that they need to work through. Uh, Jesus wants them to do to ensure, the things that Jesus wants them to do to ensure that they endure to the end, that they conquer in the face of temptation and lies and immorality. And today we come to the church in Sardis, just those six short verses that give us a very brief window into this early church. Six short verses that we need to listen to carefully because in these verses there's a warning for people who love to be loved, who love to know what others think of them. And in our culture, that's something we need to listen to too. Uh, the church inside us reminds me of a dining table that we used to have. Uh, it's a dining table that was all shiny on the outside, but under the surface it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Let me explain. Um, I've got five kids, um, and when they were all at home, we needed a table that could fit us, and then we could have another family over. It needed to extend to fit more, and so it was an extension table. It was huge. It was great. We could have two large families around this table in our place. But it didn't take long before the scratches and the stains and the marks started appearing all over it. It wasn't just normal wear and tear, let me tell you. Uh, within the first six months, nail polish remover. And then there was the repeated very deep scratches from guitars that were just dragged over the top of the table. But the deepest and most notable scars were burn spots across the table from 
a sparkler bomb that one of our kids let off one night on the table while we were out, with video evidence for proof. So after a number of years with this pockmarked table, I decided to sand it right back, restain lack of the table. Uh, I love a good project. It was a great project to do. I was looking forward to seeing how it all work out, the finished product. But as I sanded back the table, it was very clear this table wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Underneath a very thin veneer was chipboard. It wasn't all it was cracked up to be. What, what it looked like on the surface, this wonderful table... It wasn't what it was underneath. Pretend wood. That's all it was. And the church in Sardis, not quite a pretend church, but all the same. All shining on the outside, but underneath, it's not what it was cracked up to be. And Jesus could see it. And he called it for what it was. So let's pray as we look at this church and what Jesus said to it that we would listen to. Father God, we pray that as you shined a light onto this church and into this church and into their Christian walk, you would do the same for us this morning. Help us to listen with humble hearts. Change us by your spirit, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as, as you read through these letters to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there's a, there's a rhythm, there's a pattern that you see in each of these letters. And they all begin with a reminder of the one who's writing the letter to them. Revelation 3 verse 1, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And that's a description of Jesus. Each of these descriptions take us back to chapter 1. So seeing that we're just kicking back off in this series, let's go back to chapter 1, turn back one page. I'm going to read for you verses 12 to 18, this vision of Jesus who writes to the churches. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The, head of his, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it, as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice is like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. This is the Jesus who writes to the churches, who addresses the church in Sardis. Jesus, in all his glorious holiness, who holds the seven stars, that is, the seven messengers to the seven churches in his hands. His word, like a sharp double-edged sword as it exits his mouth, his words judge, his words cut, his words discern and reveal. These letters are dangerous to read. The words of the Holy Lord, the Saviour and Judge. And so as we dive into this word of Jesus, before we do, uh, let's think about, let's, let's consider the church in Sardis. What, what was it like for them to live in their culture, in their city? What is it that shaped their thinking? Well, Sardis was a place, place sorry, of uh, wealth and influence. Uh, 
It was a meeting point of five roads, five major roads. It was a place of trade. It was surrounded by rich agricultural land, and so it was rich in culture, but also in history. The city was built on the highest point of a ridge line with steep approaches on every side. They could see the dangers coming from every side from a long way away. They were secure in their position, seemingly impenetrable. Those who lived there considered this the strongest place in the world. That's what they called it. Protected by walls some three metres thick. Uh, twice in the third century, they were able to repel the attacks of powerful armies one by Seleucus I and again by Antiochus III, both unable to breach the city walls and make it in. However, they got overconfident because twice in their history they were defeated. How were they defeated? They were attacked at night. They were just confident, complacent, sleeping at the wheel as the Persians and then the Greeks scaled the walls at night while no one was watching. So they were overconfident. They relied on the way that they looked from the outside, much like the church within its walls. And all the letters to the churches so far in Revelation 2, if you look through them, that we've seen so far, last holidays, they all kicked off with a note of encouragement, a positive word from Jesus, their king. And so you can look at verse 2 of chapter 2, Ephesus. They were commended for their good works for their perseverance in the face of hardship. Uh, Smyrna, verse 9, commended for being rich even though they're poor. The Pergamon, verse 13, commended for holding on to the name of Jesus in the face of opposition. Thyatira, verse 19, commended for their love, faithfulness, service and endurance. But the church in Sardis, what we get is 3 verse 1. All we get is this, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. It's not very glowing praise, is it? They just speak to just speak of reputation. You have a reputation for being alive, and so you're just waiting for the word but, aren't you? And it comes straight after. But however, when you go down to verse four, you see that there's some in this church, as we saw in the kids' talk, that Jesus does commend and praise. There are a few people, he says, who have not soiled their clothes, but notice it's only a few. Most of the church is roundly condemned by Jesus, which brings us to this cutting rebuke in verse 1. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. The church has faith that is skin deep. This is a zombie church. It looks alive on the outside, but inside it is dead. They're like on my dining room table, all shiny, looks like the real thing, but it's just a thin veneer of faith over an empty shell. They give the impression from the outside that they love Jesus, that they serve Jesus, but it's just show. Inside, they're dead to Jesus. They don't really care about what he says. They are empty, it seems, of true and living faith. And the evidence of this zombie Christian life is in verse 2, where, where Jesus describes their work as incomplete. They do works, they look the part, they act on the outside, while others are watching, but their works are incomplete. It's empty of true love and service and devotion and faithfulness. The dangers for the churches in chapter 2 were dangers of two types. And in this Letter to the church in Sardis, we see a new danger. So what the 
What are the two dangers we see in chapter 2? Firstly, dangers from the outside, the persecution that leads to compromise. Secondly, dangers from within, the false teachers bringing lies into the church. But the danger for the church in Sardis is more insidious. It's their love of the respect of others. It's the complacency that has led to an empty faith, a shell of a Christian whose good works are more about what other people think of them than obedience to their Lord and Saviour. And now it didn't used to be like this in Sardis. Have a look at verse 2. Jesus tells them to strengthen what remains. So there still remains, there's a remnants of true faith within them of the genuine trust in Jesus that they once had. They began well, they responded to the message of Jesus with genuine love and repentance and obedience. They longed to listen to his voice in the words of scripture, in the apostolic message, but that's all but gone. It's shrunk, it's replaced by the longing to be seen as respectable, to be loved and honoured. Our culture has doubled down on this love of the love of others, haven't we? On what other people think of us. You know, the likes on the Facebook post, the, the, the hearts and the thumbs up on the messenger chats on Instagram. We want to know what others think of us. Which makes me ask the question, could my faith be skin, skin deep like the, like the faith of those inside us? Could my faith be as shallow as theirs? I know within myself, I crave the respect of others. I, I hate letting people down because I then think what they will think of me. And I'm kidding myself if I think that that doesn't impact on my trust in Jesus. I know I can easily present the look of someone who has it all together, whose faith is vibrant, but inside it's not quite what I present it to be. I don't pray with the endurance and earnestness I encourage others to pray with. And so this is a letter that we need to stop and reflect on and examine ourselves. I mean, I certainly wouldn't say that my faith is a veneer and inside it's dead, but the problem that Jesus addresses in this church I know is a problem I need to stop and examine myself into. And I think we all do. So what does Jesus tell these zombie Christians inside us to do? What did Jesus tell them to do in order to heed this warning, to ensure that they endure rather than die, conquer rather than let their faith wither? Verse 2, he says, be alert. That is, they need to wake up and see what's going on, what's happening to their faith. It's like they don't realise what is happening to them. They're oblivious to it. They haven't, they've not only deceived others with their veneer faith, it seems that they've deceived themselves. They fail to see how dead they are on the inside. Other people think their faith is real and they convince themselves that their faith is real too. In fact, I suspect that in the church in Sardis, they're even deceiving each other. The majority of the church has a faith that's just surface deep and so they look at the walk, Christian walk of others, look at their own Christian walk and say, well, we must be okay. We must be all right. But the terrible truth is they're not. Their faith is as good as dead and they don't see it. It seems they're oblivious to it. And so Jesus writes this letter to shock them, to force them to look inside and see how vacant, how paper thin their trust in him is. And this warning to the church in Sardis is urgent. Jesus says to them, verse 3, that what little faith is alive is about to die. 
The time to act is now. So how can they fan this almost dead faith to life? Verse 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. They need to remember how their once living faith began. When they heard the word of God, they received it with joy. The gospel that changed their life. It changed what they loved. It changed how they served. It changed the words that they speak. They need to remember the word of God, listen to this word of God to them and respond not with just a surface reputational faith, but with genuine change, with repentance. They began with repentance and faith, but then they got confident in their reputation and they just settled with that. The Christian life is one of ongoing change, ongoing humility, ongoing repentance under the word of God. Uh, Paul put it this way in the letter to the Colossians. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Have a look at that verse 6. The way you start the Christian life is the way you continue the Christian life. It doesn't change. How do we start the Christian life? We receive the word of God. Listen to it with humble hearts. We trust that word and we repent. We shape our lives and words and decisions by it. It's the way we receive the gospel. It's the way we live the gospel. It doesn't change. So when you feel rebuked by the word of God, when it cuts you to the heart, when your sin is exposed by the word of God and convicts you, let me ask you this. How do you respond? Think about the last time that happened to you, when the word of God confronted you like that. What was your response? You felt bad, your sin was exposed and revealed. Did you speak to your God and say sorry, asking for forgiveness? I hope you did. But what did you do then? Did you repent? Did you actually seek change? If your sin hurt others, did you apologize to them and seek to make it right what active steps did you make to change your life or maybe instead we just felt bad for a while we told our christian friends how we felt convicted which makes us look holy but then forgot to do anything about it walked away from this rebuke by god and just got on with life Repentance is not about feeling bad for our sin. Repentance is realising they're going the wrong way and turning around 180 degrees and not going back again. That's repentance. This is important because the way that we ensure our faith isn't just skin deep is to practice a life of trust and repentance rather than practising a life of indifference to God's word. And at the end of the letter... There's this wonderful encouragement, just like the other letters. Jesus reminds the Christian in Sardis what awaits those who conquer, who hear his word, who rebuke the rebuke of his, repent and change and fan to flame their living and active faith in Jesus. And the way he describes what awaits them is beautiful. Have a look at verse 4. They will walk with me in white because they are worthy. They will walk in the white clothes of a pure life. Pure not because they never sin, 
but because of forgiveness. And on the day that he returns, we will walk with him. Just like Adam and Eve, who walked with God in the cool of the day, we will walk with him. What a wonderful picture of an eternal relationship with the living, breathing Son of God. Walking, talking, sharing, loving, laughing and being loved. For eternity. That's what await those who live out their relationship with him while we wait for him to return. It's a beautiful picture. So we've listened to the letter to the church in Sardis, a church that needed to hear a hard word from their saviour and judge. And like all of these letters, they all end with the same words. Verse 6. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Life as a Christian in Roman times was tough. There was persecution, temptation, rejection, suffering. And in the case in the church in Sardis, it was about ensuring that their faith was more than skin deep. While our worlds and cultures might be different, we can see that their temptation is the same as our temptation. And the solution that Jesus calls for is the same solution for us as well. The way we conquer, the way we stand firm, the way we persevere and endure and serve and grow is the same. Listen. Listen with hearts that long to change. Listen willing to be corrected, rebuked, as well as encouraged. Listen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this hard word that you gave to the church in Sardis, but a hard word that is also for us. Father, forgive us for the times when we have had a more reputational faith than a genuine deep faith, and so we pray that you would help us to change that. When we hear your rebuke, help us not just to feel bad, but help us to put things right, to truly repent, and change the way that we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.